Robin, take your Bibles if you would tonight, and we are in a new book, the book of Second Peter. Second Peter tonight will begin. We've gone through First Peter, of course, and now we are in the second epistle, the second letter, written by the apostle Peter. So we'll do a little bit of introduction as we naturally do: who, why, when, and where in Second Peter, and we'll look at the first four verses here. Tonight, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of our God and of Jesus our Savior, according as his divine power has given to unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue whereby are given unto us exceeding and great precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Father, we ask once again that you'd be with us tonight, that you'd give us ears to hear, that we would understand your truth and understanding it, act upon it through your spirit and through your word. Speak to us tonight. We ask again in Jesus' name. Amen. So who is this, of course? Of course, we believe. It is Peter, as I mentioned, uh, the one who is probably the head, as we know, of the disciples, the apostles. Now, of course, anytime you, you say Peter, there's always going to be critics who believe it's not Peter. Uh, some of the reasons why, because they believe this, fi- this fisherman, who we remember, we've, as we looked at Peter, we actually did a study on the life of Peter. He comes from a fisherman background. He's from uh, his his hometown is from Capernaum, and I can't wait to go to Capernaum. I can't wait to go to these towns and be able to explain to you uh, from an eyewitness report what these places are like and to go to his mother-in-law's place and go to the temple. I can't wait to go to these places. But he was a fisherman, and uh, many people believe, well, this, is, this, these, this language here could not be the language of a fisherman. Some say... Uh, his philosophy is is dis- different. Uh, he, he could not could not grasp some of the things he's talking about because he simply he's just a simple Galilean fisherman. Uh, they thought some of his doctrines are not the quite the same as in first and second as they are in first and in second Peter. So there's skeptics out there who always like to deny the authorship, but. I believe, and, and as mo- most of the folks that I read, conservative Christians and their commentaries, the New Testament placed a premium on truthfulness and could never inspire a forgery. Therefore, the early church rightly rejected all works. Had Second Peter been a forgery, it had been rejected too. Of course, there are a lot of other books that folks question. Is this, is this in the canon? The canon mean, meaning the word of God for us today. Is this part of it? And there's books out there that people think, like Thomas, uh, there's other ones. Uh, Jew, I mean, I, there's all types of different epistles that people try to claim are part of the uh, original writings, but it just didn't meet the muster. And this course did. And there's, there's, there's rules and regulations that they went by to determine was this actually a part of the Word of God. And Second Peter met that qualification. So we see who, a little bit of why. Well, I like what John Phillips wrote about it. He said, the first letter, because he was moved to the, to the depth of his being by the suffering of his people. He wrote the second letter because he was moved by the seduction 
of people of God. He was moved the first time by Satan, the old lion. The second, the, he was moved the second time by what Satan, the old liar, was doing. He wrote the first letter. He had, he, he was, the attack was from without. He wrote the second letter. The attack was within. And it was much more serious. The church could not be destroyed by fierce torments, but false teaching could destroy it. You know anybody that's been captured by false teaching? Oh, I know. I've known people who used to come to church just as faithful as anybody in this room, and they got a hold of false teaching, and after that, they were, you, could, you couldn't find them if you even tried to find them. They got, they got one little lie. That's what the devil does. The devil is into deception. That's why you have to know the truth. You have to know the word of God, because if you don't know the truth, you'll fall for a lie. And there's so many lies out there. And that's one of his chief goals is to deceive you into believing something that's not true. And it's going to be close to the truth. It's going to be similar to the truth. It's going to seem like the truth, but it's not the truth. Like water baptism for salvation. Oh, man, you can find some verses in there that seem like it talks about you have to, you have, you, you, salvation is by, is by believing and baptism. That's not the truth. Because if it was true, it'd say, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord and be baptized shall be saved. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. Now, there's some verses in there that, that seem like it makes it go that. That's why there's a group of people, and you, I, I don't know, my wife, wife has met some, and I've met some too, that just insist, unless you are, unless you are baptized, you cannot get to heaven. But I always like to say, well, tell me about that thief in the cross did. If that guy got down off that cross and went and got baptized, I believe it. But I ain't say, I don't think he did. Because Jesus didn't say, today you'll be with me in paradise. If you get down off this cross, go get baptized, climb up on the thing, hang yourself, and go, and then you'll be in heaven with me. There's a lot, that's just one example. There's lots of examples. Communion. People think you only can get saved by the communion. Well, the Catholics believe that, but they're, they got so many things wrong with them. I, I'd have to take 10 days just to explain it to you. And, but there's lots of things out there. So he was trying to help them realize not <laughs> they don't need to be deceived. Next question is, when? Well, we believe this was somewhere about 67 to 68 A.D. He actually, we believe, from tr- tradition, and it's the best of our understanding, he was martyred about 68 A.D., farther on in late 68 A.D. Uh, but we believe this is 60, 67 or 68 A.D., and we don't know exactly, again, where he was martyred or where he wrote this. We believe he was martyred in Rome, but, and so he possibly was writing this second letter from Rome. But he was writing to Pontius, to Galatia, to Cappadocia, to Asia, to Bithynia, to providences in minor, Asia Minor, minor which is the modern-day Turkey. Okay, that's a little bit of the introduction of it to go into further, but I think it's best we go on from there. But the first thing he talks about, basically, is how to be saved. How to be saved. He addresses this, first of all, Simon Peter, a, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained light, precious faith with us through righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. So we see the author here. The author, of course, is Simon Peter, and we see his signature. Now, what do you think about when you think about Simon Peter? Somebody tell me. You don't have to raise your hand. It's not class. Somebody tell me. What do you think about when you think of Simon Peter? Somebody say something. What's that? Walk on water. Okay, yeah, he did. What's that? Denied Jesus three times, right? Somebody else. 
lot. That was kind of his, that's what he's known for a lot. He put his foot in his mouth. What else? He caught off the ear. Yeah, when, when in the Garden of, Garden of Gethsemane, he caught off the ear. Someone else? Fisherman. Yeah, he's a fisherman. Anyone else? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. Anybody else? There's a lot. Anybody else got something else? All those things, of course, are true. Very, very much important and very important. So what he's talking about, of course, is he's, he's you, you can never detach what's being said from the person himself. Each one of these, and it's a nice, beautiful thing about how God did it, and of course, only God can do it because he's God, is he used, of course, it's through the Holy Spirit, but he uses human agents with their personality, with their past, with their passion, with their problems. <laughs> so you look at Simon Peter and see the, all that he's gone through and all his difficulties and see how he, at the end of his life, have gone some, from someone who who denied him, someone who didn't believe in him, someone who was called the strongest word you could call a person. Remember, Jesus called him, get behind me, Satan. I mean, you can't get much worse than calling somebody the devil. That's kind of like top the list. That's just like it. If you want to say, you know, you start going back, back and forth, and say, well, you're bad. No, you're really bad. Well, you're the devil. That's kind of like it. I mean, you can't go much further than that. I mean, you, you know, you go, you, you say the devil. Who's worse than the devil? I, I don't think there is worse than the devil. So <laughs> Jesus called him the devil. Get behind me, Satan. But he's come from that place of making so many mistakes in his Christian life. Now he's to a place where he's getting ready to die, and he's in a place where he's has been taught, and now he's teaching others. And that's what God's goal is for each one of us, because we're all, we're all stumbling in our Christian life. But his goal for each of us is that we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that each of us, there's a time where we are taught, but hopefully for each of us, there's a time in our, hopefully in our, in our later years, or as God matures us, that we begin to teach others. Some of that happens because you're a parent. If you're a parent, you are a teacher. <laughs> you have a child, you're teaching them something, right? Uh, hopefully, maybe you're teaching other people at work. There's a great opportunity to teach. Uh, in your, uh, in, uh, outside of your family, other people, brothers and sisters, teach. In church, there's opportunities to teach. So there's all these opportunities now that he's now sharing, actually, of course, by the written word, so it talks about the importance of his his idea his importance of knowing God and having a relationship with God because that's the most important thing to him is having that relationship because he's coming to the end of his life and what does a person want to know at the end of his life what's going to happen to him after life after this life so he wants to know who God is he wants to have a relationship with him and it's all through the knowledge of Jesus Christ, the person that he knew. Now, it's not just talking about intellectual knowledge. It's talking about someone who has a knowledge and he uses that knowledge to do something with it. John chapter 17, verse, verse 3 says, This is life eternal. We might know thee and the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. So we see 
his signature, but what about his status? What about his status? His status? Well, he says of himself, a servant, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He calls himself, basically, the word doulos is another word for slave. Now, slavery, of course, is an offensive word to us in 2022, but slavery didn't start in 1619, no matter what they tried to tell you in public school today. Slavery has been going on since the beginning of time, folks, and it will go on to the end of time. It's happening in the United States of America. You just don't know about it. They just don't, they just don't broadcast it on CNN and Fox News. It's happening, it's happening all over the world, sometimes voluntarily, sometimes involuntarily, but it's happening. So he, was, he calls himself a, a slave, a servant of Jesus Christ, someone who's under, someone who's, who recognizes the fact that Jesus Christ is his, is his, is his, is his master, and he's willing to follow him. He's, he's a servant. He's willing to do whatever his, his Lord wants him to do. And not only does he call himself a, ser- a servant, a slave, he calls himself an apostle. He was, he was one officially sent forth by Jesus Christ as divinely commissioned witness of the resurrected Lord with authority to proclaim his truth. And that's the definition of apostle. That's the definition. If somebody comes to you and says, I'm an apostle, either they're really ignorant or they're really deceived. Or they just don't, are they, are they, are they trying to say there's something they're not? Because, dear friend, there's no apostles here. Like, there's no more apostles. There's no apostles, okay? They're all, the last apostle was John. And when he died on the Isle of Patmos, the time of apostleship was over. Yes. Yeah. It's everywhere. It's false, like I said, false teaching. It's, it's people believing that they, that they have some type of ability, some type of power, but it's, it's all ended. They just don't understand the truth. And that's, again, it's just a part of false teaching. And it's just, it's just everywhere. It's like a lot of these folks around here, you see them, even politicians, call themselves reverend. Dear friend, that pulpit is more reverend than some of these folks calling, around, calling themselves reverends. I mean... That's another sermon. Okay, so we see, we see the audience. We see the author. But what about the audience? What the audience? We see the audience. Who is the audience? First of all, that's Christians and their beliefs. He's, he's, he's speaking to Christians and, and their own beliefs. Those who have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. What do we have in, what do we have in common today? We say, oh, we're from Florida. Some of, I like pork. No, what we have, the most important thing we have together is our bond in Jesus Christ. That you can go anywhere in the entire world and meet other believers because you have like precious faith. And it's important that we recognize that, that the, the Christianity just is not just here in America. It's not just here in the Bible Belt. There's Christians all over the world. And I hope you I hope as you travel, hope as you as you get out into the community, you meet Christians and you talk to them and you fellowship. And as as soon as you ha- as soon as you strike up a conversation, you ask them about Jesus. It's almost like a it's like a magnet. You just like boom. You connect. I was talking to a guy just the other day. He was doing some irrigation. And I said, you I said, man, you're a Christian. He said, yeah. 
And we started talking and talking and talking. And it's like, why wonderful. Met a guy uh, named Craig. He, was a, he lives right across the street. He was here last week looking around, trying to find a way to get inside the church. I saw him through the camera when I introduced myself. He said, you go to Bob Jones University? I said, I do. I did. And so did my wife. And so does my daughter. He said, I graduated in 1977. Oh, man, we started up a conversation. He was here last night as we closed up as a poll watcher. We started talking again. Well, we have something in common. That, that, that thing is, which is in common is our Christianity, our pre- precious faith. And we should share that faith and talk about that faith. We shouldn't hide our faith. We should be willing to tell other people about our faith and, and, and how much it means to us. This word for like precious faith is a word which occurs only here. It means of equal value. It's, it's common. It's good. It's, it's, it's needful. And we all should appreciate our faith that we have in Jesus Christ. The Greek phrase translated of God uh, says of God and our Savior Jesus Christ is literally of our God and our Savior Jesus Christ, which means Jesus, Peter is calling Jesus, whom he walked with for some three, three and a half years, God. He's saying Jesus is God because he knew him. He walked with him. If you spend time with, little, with a person very, very long, you get to find out who he's like. But Jesus, even though he spent time with him, and Peter, even though he spent time with Jesus, could say, even though his, 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 I'm sure his, he wasn't as quite as, uh, Peter's mind wasn't quite as sharp as it used to be, he could say, this person whom I knew and fellowship with is God. And the Bible declares that, 1 John 1, 16, and of the fullness we have received the grace of glory, but by the grace of God, I am who I am by his grace, which bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labor more bluntly than they all, but by the grace of God. And that's how Peter received his, 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 his relationship, through, by faith, through grace in Jesus Christ. So we see Christians in their belief, but Christians in their blessings. This word grace that I just mentioned is free, unmerited favor towards sinners, which grants those who believe the gospel complete forgiveness Forever through the Lord Jesus Christ. The longer you live, the more you ought to be thankful for the grace of God. That we don't have to work for it. That we don't have to do anything. We don't have to make it happen. That God is freely given to us. And that's why Paul could say, just like I, like I said, that I am what I am by, by the grace of God. Not only by the grace of God, but by the peace of God. Peace is a state of quiet tranquility, freedom from disturbance or agitation applicable to society, individuals, or to the temper of the mind. We like grace. We like peace. It's nice to be in a peaceful place, isn't it? It's like, but you can be in a place that may seem crazy and have peace. Because it's a state of mind. It's not just where you're at, at a tranquil forest. It's a state of mind. The Bible says, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So we say Christians in their belief, Christians in their blessings, and Christians in their behavior. Christians in their behavior. How are we to behave? According to his divine nature, his divine power, he hath given to us all things that pertain to life and the godliness. I sometimes meet people and say, you know, I need, I just need, I need more. I need more. No, through Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, and the Word of God, you have everything you need for life and godliness. You don't need more. 
Your flesh is lying to you. It's saying, well, you need, you need. No, dear friend. When, it talk, when we're talking about spirituality, all you, all you need is wrapped up in Christ. What more do you need than him? Are you not content in him? Well, if you, if you abide in him and you dwell in him and get to know him, there's a friend, you can't reach the depths of the word of God. And I, I study it and study it and study it, and I just scratch the surface of it. You can't, you can't reach the depths of a right relationship with, with Jesus Christ and then dwelling in the Holy Spirit. How wonderful it is. How, how, how great it is. Oh, we, 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 need, we, have, we need peace. We need peace. I was thinking about today that man by the name of Mephibosheth. I don't know if you remember Mephibosheth. He was the grandson of King, of King Saul, Jonathan's son. He got in an accident and became crippled. And many people thought, well, here's just one of the descendants of Saul, and surely David would kill all those who might someday oppose him. And in most cases, and in most countries, they would. They find everybody from the opposing, from the previous rule, and they would wipe out their whole, whole heritage, their whole lineage. But remember, David made a, com- a, co- a covenant with Jonathan that he would protect him and love him and take care of his seed. Mephibosheth was just, he was basically, he was, he was the descendant, but he got to the place where he was, he, he, had, a, he had great needs. He, he didn't think himself of a, as a prince. Actually, he thought himself was just like a dog. He thought he was nothing. He thought he was worthless. And what, what did David do? Not persecute him. He blessed him. He had him come and eat at his own table and showed him grace and showed him peace. You know what? That's what Jesus does for us. We're outside. We're outsiders. We're condemned to die. The wrath of God abides on us. But because of what Christ has done for us and shedding his, shedding his blood on the old rugged cross for us, he gives us, he gives us grace to know him. And because we know him, we have peace. The Christian, out of all people in the entire universe, should be people of peace. You have peace tonight? In your circumstance, in your situation, Wherever you may be, you should have peace. And if you don't have peace, then your dear friend, <laughs> you, all you have to go to is the one who will give you peace. That's Jesus. <laughs> He's the Prince of Peace. He will give you peace if you ask. If you ask it, but you cannot do it yourself. Peace is not sitting in some type of room, listening to some type of crazy music with a bunch of candles and incense. No, there. That's not peace. There. That's craziness. Peace is in Christ. The greatest peace you can have is knowing him and and him knowing you and everything about you and him loving you anyway and and preparing a place for you. So how to be saved and but how to be sure you're saved. You see, secondly, how to be sure you're saved. Well, we see that Christ is, of course, a wonderful person. We have a relationship. It says through the Lord Jesus Christ, through the knowledge of him that have called us to glory and virtue. Jesus is the God of glory. At his birth, the angels sang glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. At his transfiguration on the mountain, God the Father said, this is my beloved son, hear him. 
Jesus is not just the God of glory. He's a man of virtue. His temptation in the desert, he, he said, it is written, when the, when the devil tried to tempt him, we see his testimony. What was the testimony of Jesus Christ? He went around doing good. Man, if you could have one thing about some, somebody say about you, what do we know about you? What do you, what do, you do in life? Well, he went around doing good. He went around, he went around <laughs> healing the sick, helping the poor, saving folks from, from destruction and pain and sorrow, teaching and preaching in the temple. Jesus wants us to be like him, just like just like Elisha wanted to be like Elijah and was given a double portion of his blessing, Jesus gives us his spirit, the Holy Spirit of God that indwells us. Jesus is not with us here physically, but his spirit is in each of us and guides us and leads us and convicts us and helps us in our life. So we see the wonderful person, our relationship with him, but the wonderful promises he gives us, the wonderful promises. How about I go forward? The wonderful pro- the promises. What's his, what's his promises? Well, they're permanent promises. It says, it says here there in verse 4, whereby we're given exceeding great and precious promises. Uh, I, I love the promises in the word of God. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Uh, uh, permanent promise of 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. If you walk in the light, as he is in the light, we'll have fellowship with one another. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We can have salvation. We can be clean. We, we, the precious promises of the, of the scripture we see in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. I will never leave you nor forsake you. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Oh, what wonderful promises we have in the word of God. Dear friend, when your life is troubled or difficult, difficult, lean on the promises of God. May they be precious to you and they're permanent. They last forever. You know, some, some folks, you, they'll make a promise to you and, and you're not sure if they're going to keep it. And you sure don't know if they're going to keep it very long. But when Jesus makes a promise, when the word of God makes a promise, it's permanent. It's permanent. So how to be saved, how to be sure, and thirdly, how to be sanctified. That means grow in our relationship with him. How to be, how to be sanctified. We see in verses chapter 1, 4b and 4c. Well, first of all, we see the great essential. So we see the first great essential. We are about, we're giving it great exceeding promises, but they are about takers of the divine nature. Promises are only for certain people. Promises are only for people who know, know God. The promises of the scripture primarily we see in the Old Testament for his people, Israel, the apple of, of his eye. But in the New Testament, they're primarily for, 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 for the believer, for us who know him. Uh, you, you may make promises to people, and, and they, may, they may wonder if you're going to keep them. But when the people you know and trust and care for People who are going to see you pass tonight and the next day and the next day. You're careful about what you say. You're careful about your words. Hopefully when you shake someone's head and say you're going to do something, they know it's like money in the bank. Actually, hopefully better than money in the bank. You know it can be true. And that's why he's saying in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, being born again, not a corruptible seed, but incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Growth starts at birth. Car without an engine doesn't go very far. 
But spirituality without salvation is not Christianity. People can be spiritual. The Bible says that demons fear God and tremble. But that's not the Christianity. That's not Christianity. That's just spirituality. So we see the great essential, but the great escape in verse chapter 1, verse 4c. It says, having escaped the corruption that is in this world through lust. Through lust. Escape depicts a successful flight from danger, in this case the effects of one's fallen nature, the sinfulness of the decaying world, and its final destruction. This world is, is a, it's, not, it's not quite great grammar, but it's the truth. It's getting worse and worse. We saw it last night. <laughs> we saw it last night. We saw things people voted for just don't make sense. I mean, just playing out. You vote to raise, your, your, to raise taxes. Don't make any sense to me. I mean, if you raise taxes and you think they actually would do something with the money that they actually, they're actually going to take from your pocket, and they're going to take $57 extra out of your pocket that they didn't take last year, but what are they going to do with that $57 from every person in this, in this town? Probably the same thing they did with the last time they asked for money. Not much on the roads on 39th Avenue. Why? Why, why is that? Because of their character. Their character. You know what they're going to do because the character of who they are. You can't trust them because they have bad character. That's why you don't vote for something you know is not going to happen. But unfortunately, people are duped to believe anything. That's the, that's the sad situation. We see the great essential and the great escape. Yeah, there's the corruption. But dear friend, one of these days, we're going to worry about 39th Avenue. We're going to go to Streets of Gold. <laughs> And we don't have to worry about any potholes or dodging stuff or, or trying to get out of the way. No, we don't have to, get, we don't have to do any of that. It's going to be perfect. We're going, to, we're going from a corruptible place to a perfect place. And we have escaped all of that because we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Oh, how wonderful that is. How to be saved, how to be sure, and how to be sanctified. We have, we have two choices in this life, life. Really, as we've been looking in the past in the Old Testament, like Lot to lust after things that cannot satisfy, or like Abraham to have faith and trust him. Ultimately, what did Peter want to be? He wanted to be like Jesus. And you know what? That's what we should desire to be, like Jesus Christ. That should be our goal. And that's what the, the writer of that old song, I would be like Jesus, James Rowe, that's what his desire was. He says, be like Jesus is my song in the home and in the throng. Be like Jesus all day long. I would be like Jesus. I hope that's true of each of us today. But by the grace of God, we would be like Jesus. Father, we thank you for tonight. Thank you for this opportunity. I pray, Lord, that you would just give us strength and grace. I pray, Lord, that each person in this room has salvation through Jesus Christ. I pray that everyone in this room is growing in that relationship with Jesus Christ. Lord, and I pray for each one in this room that we will have the opportunity to share that good news with other people. Lord, maybe even tonight, maybe tomorrow, this week, that we will share the good news of Jesus Christ with others head bowed and eyes closed as, as, as Robin comes forward and plays the music tonight. I wonder, 
Dear friend, do you know Christ as your Savior? Has there been a time in your life that you placed your faith in him? Do you know Jesus? If you were to die the day, would you go to heaven? Do you know that? Are you sure? You've come to the right place if you're not sure tonight. You come tonight having doubts, having fears, not knowing. We can take the Bible in just a few moments and show you from the word of God how you can be saved. I wonder if you're a Christian, are you growing in your Christian life? Maybe you're here and you say, preacher, I'm kind of stuck. I feel stuck. I'm not growing. I feel like I'm going backwards. I'm going backwards. Oh, there's resource. The word of God through faith. Trust in him. Believing in him. He will help you through each trouble, through each trial, through each difficulty. Let's stand to our feet this evening. If God has spoken in your heart. Got some issue you're struggling with, some difficulty, some pain, some problem, some area. Would you come forward tonight and just give it to God? Ask Him to help you. Maybe you need grace. Maybe you need peace. Come to the altar. Cast your burden on the Lord, and He'll sustain you. Whatever the need is tonight, would you give it to God? Lord, we thank you for tonight. Thank you for each one who came. I pray, Lord, you would help us each to know you, to not just know you, to walk with you, to talk with you. Lord, when trouble comes in our life, Lord, we thank you for the grace and peace that's available through our relationship with you. I pray you bless tonight and help us each to know you better and to make you known to others that are around us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Put your prayer bulletin tonight.